Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. Hope you're well. Here's what we're going to talk about today, an update on infrastructure projects, some updates on what's going on now as far as some improvements and what is being talked about and proposed in Washington. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, will be joining us. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, will join us as well as we take a look at where we are with the uh, pork packing plants and are we making any headway in that backlog of hogs and just where do we stand with that as well as the uh, market outlook for the hog market moving forward. And a lot of discussion right now about carbon policy and where agriculture fits into that. Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us a little bit later as we'll discuss that. That's also a good place to start with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. He joins us now. Jerry, thanks for being with us. A lot of discussion there in Washington, D.C. on carbon policy. What are you hearing? Yes. uh, Well, I went to the hearing yesterday that was held by the Senate Ag Committee. It was the first hearing that they've had in three months. Uh, it was a very interesting experience with the senators spread out six feet apart and the staff and the reporters also in one of the biggest uh, uh, congressional hearing rooms in the, in the Dirksen building. Uh, well, what's most interesting to me is that the bill is also being introduced on the House side by Congresswoman Spanberger from Virginia and Congressman Bacon from Nebraska. Uh, I'll just be very interested to see if Congress can move on this, uh, since mostly what they're doing is uh, coronavirus-related. The most fascinating part of it is the central role that USDA would have to play in this. Everyone seems to agree USDA has to play a role in certification for the farmers, the corporations, and the uh, consumers to trust it. Uh, there's also concern among the senators that this has, we have to be sure that this benefits farmers, not just helps corporations with their reputations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, will they learn from mistakes in the past? Cap and trade didn't go well last time. Will it be different this time? Right. That's the, uh, that's the main thing. And, of course, you have to make sure that there's actually a market uh, for these uh, as uh, there was this private uh, climate uh, exchange in Chicago, uh, but it folded. Uh, and so, you know, there's really nothing, not much uh, active in this area right now, uh, although people have, you know, a lot of uh, faith in the idea. So we'll talk more about that a little bit later on with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Meanwhile, big news in Bear reaching a $10.9 billion settlement with plaintiffs over Roundup and Dicamba. Yes, it certainly was interesting. Uh, you know, the corn growers are pointing out that uh, Bayer didn't admit fault. Uh, but I'd have to say that when they were going to pay out $10 billion, it's going to be hard to make the argument that that uh, glyphosate doesn't cause cancer. I just think it's uh, you know the the their decision to I understand their decision to settle, um, 
but it will have implications uh, going forward. I'm sure this isn't the end of this. Yeah, we'll keep a close watch on that. Meanwhile, you mentioned uh, COVID-19 matters in uh, in Washington, D.C. and what they're working on. Any further talk on another aid package or further assistance once we get past 4th of July? Well, yes, Senator Grassley says he believes that the negotiations with the Senate will start after the 4th of July uh, recess and that the Senate will will pass the final version of the bill on the, uh, on the 6th of August, which is the last date that they're expected to be here un- until September. Now, the contents of that bill, uh, we don't know. You know. Many people have put out many proposals. Uh, the most active at the moment is to increase the benefits under the SNAP or food stamp program. Uh, in terms of farm aid, there, you know, there's still more talk about the aid, aid to the livestock producers who have been forced to kill their, uh, kill their animals. Uh, but the other thing that intrigues me is that on the 1st of July, this $14 billion uh, that's in the CCC uh, should be available for the use of USDA. And I wonder if they're going to announce anything uh, in July or if they're going to wait until after Congress has acted on the next coronavirus aid package. Uh, we just don't know about that yet. Yeah, we know that money's coming or will be available soon, but just don't know how it's going to be used. Meanwhile, uh, the list of commodities wanting into CFAP, that's a long list. It'll be interesting to see which ones get in. Yes, the most, uh, you know, the most recent are the uh, apple growers and the, uh, and the potato growers uh, who are saying that they should be included. I think those are two of the biggest. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see what, uh, what USDA decides. Uh, you know, on that $14 billion, I think the big question is what other obligations does USDA have to spend money under the CCC? How much can they use for coronavirus-related stuff, and, and how much do they, uh, do they need for the other more regular programs, uh, normal farm subsidies, conservation programs? Yeah, a lot of need there, and that money's going to go quickly once they start uh, spreading it out, and we'll see who gets it, and as far as new groups coming in, new commodities coming in, and how much they will be able to get. Meanwhile, uh, on the trade front, everybody continues to watch and monitor what China does as far as purchases. Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, yes, this week, of course, there were some good signals on the the soybeans, uh, but, uh, you know, the White House still sends out uh, conflicting views on China uh, I was intrigued this week after uh, Peter Navarro, the trade advisor, said that China, he indicated the China agreement was over, and then President Trump uh, had to put out a tweet saying, no, no, that's not right. And Senator Grassley said that President Trump should put a sock in Navarro's mouth to keep, keep him from speaking publicly and, and causing problems. And we're really seeing this in the markets where the, you know, the, the stock market goes up and down depending on these White House statements. And we also wait to see what EPA is going to do with these uh, 52 past requests uh, for waivers to the RFS. Are they going to grant these retroactively? If so, how many? Yes, I'd have to say from EPA, the silence is deafening. Uh, and this is amidst reports that um, – the uncertainty over biofuels 
is playing a real political role in uh, Iowa uh, with President Trump down in the polls and also challenges to uh, Senator Joni Ernst. Her Democratic opponent is asking why she hasn't been able to get EPA to, to do what she wants. Uh, yeah, so it's become a real political issue. It certainly has. All right, Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks. Stay well. We'll talk again soon. Great. Have a good weekend. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we talk infrastructure. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk infrastructure with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. It's that time of year where some work gets done, some uh, closures take place on the rivers. Bring us up to date. What's happening? Well, the Army Corps of Engineers is getting ready to uh, do a, a major rehabilitation initiative on five of the eight lock and dam sites on the Illinois River. And you know, clearly this is one part of our supply chain that's really consequential for linking soybean farmers and grain farmers to export markets. Um, and those locks and dams really allow that to, to occur. A lot of these locks and dams have been allowed to degrade over the years, and so a number of them are, are in dire need of a, of a major upgrade. And we're really pleased that you know, after years of, of effort and advocacy from the barge industry, from agriculture, um, and other stakeholders, we've, we finally have these projects coming to fruition. And, and clearly it's going to result in a, an inconvenience for shippers during this time of the year. It, the, most of this work is going to start in early July and hopefully will be wrapped up uh, three months later before the real major surge of, of, from the fall harvest. So it, it clearly is going to be an inconvenience, but um, fortunately this work is, is scheduled to be all done simultaneously, and at the end of the day, we're going to have a system that's more reliable, which is something we all should welcome and celebrate. So I say, is this significant improvements or just basically maintenance? Well, it's actually, uh, you have kind of regular maintenance work that occurs at a lot of these sites um, when the need arises. But these, what these are are major rehabilitations, and they can easily cost $50, $80 million at each site. Um, this, so this is very consequential. It's not, it's not a new construction, but it's, it's <clears throat> the, the classification is major rehabilitation. So that's, it is uh, significantly upgrading uh, the, the site. Um, making major repairs, um, new features and, and components throughout the whole site. And, you know, when you go to some of these locks and dams, you don't have to be a licensed engineer to be able to diagnose that it's not a matter of if you're going to have a failure at one of these sites, it's a matter of when. Um, you can recognize the rust, you can recognize the crumbling concrete and the need to actually upgrade it. So we're, we're very happy to see uh, that works. So the dimensions of these sites will not change. They'll remain the same, but just making sure that they're much more reliable, that'll be a major upgrade for us. So it's like 
most of us don't like it. We're frustrated when there's road repair going on and, and a road that we travel often. We don't like to have to take another uh, another way around. Uh, but uh, when the road work's done, it's a nicer road. It's a smoother, better shape. Then we're happy it was done. So uh, you you go through the inconvenience with the hope it's going to be better in the end. That's kind of where we're at right now on the rivers in. The, and it, for that, certainly for that segment of the river and, and uh, on, on the Illinois, and that's that's really important. And these are the the five sites that are closest to the Mississippi River, so very important for for agriculture. What what really is cancerous to a supply chain is when you have unexpected closures or delays. Um, the, the the benefit of this project is the Corps of Engineers has signaled for uh, multiple years now that this work is on the horizon. So. Uh, those who rely on that part of the Illinois River have been able to make alternative arrangements. Again, it's still an inconvenience. Uh, it clearly is, but ultimately, it's going to be worthwhile when these are when this work is done. We we clearly hope that <clears throat> once the work starts, it will be done on time uh, within budget. Uh, one of my encouragements to the Corps of Engineers is. If you start on this work and you find that you're that you're behind schedule, and if you have the choice to either under communicate with stakeholders or over communicate, choose over communicating because because then we can make further alternative arrangements. And the Corps of Engineers, to their credit, they I think they've done a good job of communicating with everyone about the status of this project and updates. And you know, I think they'll they they clearly understand the need to communicate throughout this process. The improvements at the Lagrange Lock and Dam, then probably the biggest of all these. That's that's the one. The Lagrange Lock and Dam is the the lock and dam on the Illinois River closest to the Mississippi. So this is one where that that experiences the most volume of traffic, but it's also arguably the poster child of a of a lock and dam that has been allowed to degrade. And and so it, this is one that clearly needs to be addressed, and so we're very happy that that's one of those on the list that will experience this major rehabilitation. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So that's an update on the work that's uh, either going on now or about to go on uh, this summer. Let's talk about what's being discussed again in Washington, D.C. Seems like it every now, every so often, infrastructure pops up as another possibility or a hot topic. They're talking about it again. What's being discussed? What's being proposed this time? Well, we're, we're happy anytime the word infrastructure gets included in our national debate. Um, and there's clearly, you know, work continues to get done on ultimately passing a Water Resources Development Act. Uh, things that thus far, um, there's a there's a decent chance that we could see greater federal investment in locks and dams as a result of that, uh, but that still has yet to be achieved. Um, but we're we're certainly hopeful up to this point. A lot of attention has been devoted to surface transportation, and you know the president coming out with a uh, a one trillion dollar proposal. Uh, the House Democrats they have a 10-year, $500 billion transportation bill, but then they then they added that to another trillion dollars in kind of stimulus kind of spending to address in response to the COVID pandemic. So that's a, a grand total $1.5 trillion figure. And so we're, we're happy. 
happy to, he to see some energy behind infrastructure, but what really concerns me is that it, this is increasingly taking on more of a partisan flavor to it, and you, you start wondering, is this more about positioning yourself for the election, or is this more about actually trying to get something done? And you know, when you when you see you know what's happened on the House side, um, you know the concern is it was only passed with uh, Democratic support, and they're they're the majority, uh, so they can do that. But if you really want to get something done, you really need to craft it in a bipartisan fashion. The Senate did something did something last year where it it passed out of their committee. Uh, without a dissenting vote. So there's some bipartisan support on the Senate side for their version. And so that just kind of worries me is that um, when you see it become more and more partisan and that this election is looming on the horizon and people are increasingly turning their attention to that, uh, trying to have victory on, on election day versus actually getting things done in the prior to that for the American people, that rightfully concerns me, and it concerns others. And so we're we're hopeful that transportation um, can be truly that bipartisan issue where historically it has been, um, because we certainly have a need for it. And as we're recovering from and trying to emerge from this COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of the effort up to this point, uh, I like to describe it as triage and stabilization activities. Now we need to transition more and more to long-term wellness activities, and I think infrastructure investment, wise infrastructure investment, is one of the most effective ways of doing that. So I hope Congress embraces this opportunity. Well, I think you really pinpointed what's happening right now and the concern in a lot of different areas and makes me think not much is going to get done between now and the election because each party seems content on passing a bill knowing it's not going to get past the other party or get support from the other party, but each party can go around saying, touting their own bill, and meanwhile nothing really gets accomplished because they can't work together to get a final bill done. Yeah, and it, it's real, and you see this in a host of other issues, and, and Republicans and Democrats are equal opportunity offenders on this, that mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is give the other side something that they can brag about. and And so you would almost rather the problem persist than to get something done that makes you look good, but it also makes the other guy look good as well. And that's what that really seems like people are trying to avoid that. And that's, that's a real frustration. And for the rest of us who Americans who just simply want things to get done and we're, we don't, we're not so excited about keeping score. Um, political score. We just we just want to see an infrastructure get better. We want to see the cost of business improve. And so we're hopeful that they'll actually embrace this opportunity to get something done. Yeah, we want to see results, and it's frustrating that we're not getting them. Mike, good to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Thanks, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve, good to talk with you again. What's the latest, where are we on the pork packing plant situation? 
Well, we've made pretty steady improvements, Mike. Yesterday was the best idle capacity number we've seen since we started tracking it back in May. Um, we're down 7.2% from capacity, which is pretty close to normal operations. I mean, you know, we don't, uh, the plants don't operate at capacity very often anyway. Uh, but I think that this is, you know, I'm not sure we're going to get a lot better. It's been, uh, the gains have been quite slow. We had an odd number on Monday because we had a plant that had a water problem. But um, the gains have been pretty slow the last couple of weeks. And we have a few plants that still are, are having some troubles, um, you know, kind of chronic. And uh, every now and then we have a little bit of a, a, a blow up. We had We had a plant that had a lot of absenteeism on Monday, but we think that was more attributable to working two or three Saturdays in a row. So um, we're improving. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that even at last week's roughly 8% and this week's number that's going to be about 8%, uh, we're only going to take about a quarter of a million hogs, maybe a little more, out of that backlog of 2.7 million or so that we had going in. So, um, and, and there's not a lot of prospect of making more improvement next week. So if we're down to 7.2% or or even 8% as you said. Yeah. You you would you would said earlier if we could get down to what 5%. Five. So we're pretty close to that. Yeah. Pretty close to that, but I don't know that we'll get any better than that. So I think I think minus 5 or 95% is the new 100 uh, in my mind. And until until we kind of are able to run up toward that number uh toward the old 100% number, I'm going to kind of stick with that because I just think that there was enough changes, spacing people, uh, lengthened changeovers, a number of things like that that just are going to slow these plants down a little bit, and we're going to lose a little bit of our, our productive capacity. So even with this improvement, it shows how long it's going to take to work through this backlog. As you said, we're barely making a dent in that. Yeah, we are. And, and, and what that really means is that you're not going to get a lot of that handled until you get into uh, lower pig numbers. Now, if we think about that, the seasonal low for slaughter is normally the middle of July. All right? Maybe the third week of July is, if you had to pick a week during the year for the low, that's it, on a non-holiday situation. Uh, so uh, if we can't gain over the next couple of weeks, then we're starting to increase pig numbers again. Now, what we get into is once we get to October, we start getting into some of the euthanization of small pigs that happened in April and May and June, and that will create some space. So I think we're going to keep you know, slaughtering the heavy hogs that are being held and pushing the ones behind them that should be going to market out further into the future until we start getting to those short uh, times out, out into you know, late September and October. Uh, then, then we'll kind of fill things up for a while, even though we were destroyed some pigs. Uh, we still think that there's reductions of pig numbers going on, primarily through you know we're only going to take ten out of the out of the farrowing house or whatever, and not taking eleven or twelve pigs off a of sow, uh, being very selective about that. And we still think that's going on. I do think that we're going to create some crowding here in the next month from double stock buildings back in April and May that have to have part of the pigs relocated out of them, and maybe we don't have enough buildings available. And so we still think there could probably be some more euthanization of those smaller pigs 
um, in in July and August uh, just because we don't have room for it to move them out of double and triple stock buildings. So it's we'll we'll, we'll get through them, uh, but I think it's going to be a long time before we have any kind of uh, reduction in hog numbers, and so that's going to continue to put pressure on the product markets. We're talking with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Uh, what improvements, what kind of a rebound are we seeing in food service as we start to see restaurants and some of those uh, venues start to at least partially open back up? Well, um, it's hard to put a number on that, Mike. I mean, I, we're seeing some improvement there, no doubt, but the the improvement in food service usage is not as rapid as the growth in our recovery of slaughter and pork production. And so that's the reason we're seeing so much pressure on wholesale pork prices. I mean, uh, we just, you know, retail's still good because everybody has to buy their food at the grocery store generally. Um, but uh, the the pickup back uh, return of food service has been slow. And I said a couple of weeks ago when we talked that the key here is going to be the relative rate of improvement of A, slaughter, and B, food service. And so far, slaughter's winning that, and so we see pressure on prices. Um, I think we're all concerned about what's going on in some of the states that have reopened. I live in Oklahoma. We're one of them. Uh, we had our largest day earlier this week of new cases. Now, we're doing more testing now than we were, and there's lots of caveats to that. Uh, but um, in our case, our, our, our hospitals are not overburdened at this point, but uh, it's certainly the the virus itself has made a rebound here and is flowing around in the population more than it was and that's certainly a concern i know in stillwater where i live of two or three restaurants that have closed again they opened and then closed because of their concerns for their workers so well it shows we still got a long ways to go on this uh so what let's let's look at the uh, the hog market, pork price is moving forward. What do you see here through the summer? Well, I think we're going to have really, really tough times through the summer. We're going to have, uh, we've got lots of hogs out there ready to come to market. It doesn't really matter what the packer bids on cash markets. They're going to get the same amount of hogs. And you've seen this cash market just fall completely apart down in the 20s now. Uh, you know, the cutout value gained four bucks yesterday. That's a real encouragement because Hams rebounded some, uh, but you know, the, in in lots of cases, especially on the cutout side, um, the cure for low prices is low prices. When prices get low enough, we see buyers come back in, and we saw that in the ham market yesterday. And so, hopefully, we can stabilize that part. Uh, but this cash market, I mean, it can go kind of wherever it wants to, Mike, because uh, doesn't, doesn't matter what you bid, you're going to get the same number of hogs. And so, um, we're very concerned on that side we got a hogs and pigs report this afternoon that is going to be one of the wildest things we've ever seen we, we're going to see numbers that we've never seen in in a hogs and pigs report this afternoon especially on the 180 and over uh, the pre-report estimates ranged from i think seven percent to plus 28 percent or something like that um so uh that's going to be the big piece of information this is the first objective information we've gotten since this whole thing started back in april so um, uh, we just hope that uh, the information provided to USDA was accurate and that their uh, statistical models will handle this. Um, it's a difficult situation for them because this is, uh, you know, as we said a hundred times, you know, this is so far outside the realm of normal 
that uh, they're going to have a real challenge coming up with good numbers this afternoon. You know, and as we look ahead, you mentioned the the resurgence of the virus in in different areas, and that reminds us again how vulnerable uh, these packing plants are. I mean, we they're open, but uh, you know, <laughs> the uncertainty moving forward, right? I mean, you take precautions, yeah, but that yeah. that doesn't mean they're going to stay open in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and now there, there's a few things that are, are somewhat encouraging about that. Uh, you know, being the worst place in the country for coronavirus at one time means you're also the most immune place in the country mm-hmm. for coronavirus. And so that 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 helps you some. Quite a bit of turnover in packing plants, so you're going to have some naive people coming in that could be a problem. The other one, the bigger one is the two bigger ones are number one is we aren't nearly as ignorant as we were on April first. Okay. Um, we know some things now. We know some things to do and how to react. And so there's there's knowledge there that wasn't at play when we had our worst of this back in April and May. And the second one is <clears throat> that, um, um, you know, the immunities are going to help uh, for sure. I don't think we'll get the closings bunched up like we did, okay? That was the surge, the initial surge of the virus. And so we had 40% of the plant uh, capacity down at one time. Um, I doubt that we'll do that again. We might have a plant here and a plant there, but having seven plants at once uh, probably is not going to happen again, I think. So those are encouraging ones, but staying at 93%, I, I don't think we're going to do that every day or even every week as we go through the fall when we start closing up buildings and people get indoors again and we may see a resurgence of this virus. Yeah. Hopefully we're learning some lessons, right? Well, you know, if we're not learning some lessons, then it's our own fault, that's for sure. Because, you know, if there's, if there's one thing about life, every day gives you a chance to learn something. So That's right. All right. Well, we always learn something when we talk with you, Steve. We appreciate it. Thanks for the update. <laughs> Well, you keep asking the right questions, and I'll give you something that you can learn. Okay? All, right. All right. Thanks, Thanks Steve. Appreciate it. Take Good care. Day. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. So even uh, with the improvement we're making uh, on the, in our packing uh, capacity, and it's getting, you know, that's improved. But as he said, we're, we've only made a small dent in this backlog of hogs, and we have some challenging times still ahead. Well, what's ahead with carbon policy? There's a lot of talk about it by both parties in Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of discussion about the role that USDA would need to play in this. How is this different than what we've seen in the past with cap and trade and things like that? What will agriculture's role, what will be the, what will be the opportunities if this moves forward? We'll talk about it next with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. There's a lot of discussion right now around an ag carbon bill called the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Let's talk about it with Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Director of Congressional Relations. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Uh, what can you tell us about this uh, Growing Climate Solutions Act? 
Well, Mike, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's a it's an interesting concept that we've seen introduced in the Senate, and we expect to see a, a House bill introduced here shortly as well uh, around the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Basically, it's all about information and providing that from a trusted source, source to farmers and ranchers. It would direct USDA to create kind of a, a website and certification program for third-party verifiers, uh, along with creating uh, advisory committee to the secretary to look into these different voluntary carbon markets and what opportunities might exist for farmers and ranchers into the future. Kind of interesting because we've seen lately on some other matters, Congress saying uh, maybe USDA needs more oversight and not so much authority. Here they're saying USDA needs to have the authority. They, they're the critical ones to, to do this. Well, I, I might get in trouble, but sometimes Congress, their hypocrisy knows no bounds. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's something that, you know, we've obviously advocated for uh, some more authorities at USDA, especially in response to the COVID-19 crisis. But uh, when you really think about it across the federal government and, and across this country, uh, what better agency is probably equipped uh, and has the trust of farmers around a subject that's not always been easy to talk about in agriculture? Uh, you know, we've come a long ways, you know, from 10 years ago with the cap-and-trade debate, and that's not what this bill is. Uh, what we're seeing is more of these commitments by companies receiving these voluntary private markets starting to emerge, but it's really hard to find good information. Uh, we've seen, you know, some snake oil salesmen in the past, and so what Congress is trying to get at is direct USDA uh, to kind of put a clearinghouse out there to provide the information so farmers can make informed decisions uh, before they get into to a market or get into some type of contract where they might be leaving some money on the table into the future. Yeah, trying to avoid cap-and-trade issues and the problems that we went through there and hopefully learn from that experience and do it a better way this time. So what what kind of opportunities, Andrew, do you see out there for farmers? Well, I would say it's still early. Um, it's one of those that I think we need information on. You know, the big thing that, that we want to continue to harp on is not to lose sight of what agriculture has been able to do. When you look over just over two generations, we've been able to increase our outputs by over 270% while our inputs have remained relatively flat. So we're producing more with way less. When you look at U.S. greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, we're under 10% compared to the rest of the world's closer to 25%. And so we've built this, this ability to innovate, uh, to be good stewards. And so we want to make sure that's recognized. But we also understand that consumers and businesses are looking for more from farmers in this ecosystem uh, kind of uh, place, this marketplace. And so trying to get farmers that information to figure out what can they do, uh, what what can they get credited for, uh, what additional practices that are going to cost money, but maybe there's going to be money to be made that's out there. And so that's what we're looking the USDA to do. We want to keep it voluntary. We want to keep it incentive-based uh, to provide those services that, that consumers are looking for. So does, is this going to get back into like carbon tax credits that people are buying and selling, you know, trading? Is that it becomes a market? Well, that's that's a lot of the discussion, right? There's there's a, a lot hinges in what happens in November uh, on whether Washington might be taking more of a, a serious look at, at these different tax credits, at, at different taxes potentially, uh, hopefully not regulation, or if we're going to see more of the private markets move towards this. But there's definitely pent-up demand 
to drive some innovation in this space. Tax credits is one of those interesting spaces that's being kicked around. Senator Bennett has a bill um, that looks at providing kind of similar to what the oil and gas industry has uh, that would provide an opportunity for farmers to sequester carbon, create a tax credit that they could retire, but if they don't have that liability, they could sell it to a company that has a tax liability. Those are the concepts that are being kicked around and folks are exploring as we continue to move forward in this space. How do we avoid going down the, that cap and trade route that they got you know, that kind of fell apart before. Uh, how do we avoid those mistakes? Well, I think what's different, uh, and hopefully what we'll continue to see, is that anything that impacts agriculture in this climate space, that discussion needs to take place at the Senate and House Ag Committees. And, you know, a lot of times, <clears throat> you know, recognizing fully maybe Farm Bureau, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, we might get a black black eye on uh, on this subject, but there are places. We have robust policy where we support voluntary market incentive-based uh, programs. That's what we kind of see, this growing Climate Solutions Act, uh, where there could be some benefits to ag, but then there's some red lines that are very clear for us uh, that would be harmful to the American consumer, that would be harmful to American farmers and ranchers that we would never be able to support and, and would fight. So it's trying to find that middle ground and having uh, those good faith discussions with different uh, outlooks around the subject, but also with our policymakers that hopefully find a good spot for farmers and ranchers to continue to build their strong foundation of environmental stewardship. So we've got a ways to go. And as you pointed out, the November election will determine a lot of this. But right now, it seems like there's a lot of bipartisan interest in this. I, I don't know if they can come together and work on get something uh, put together or not, but there's interest on both sides of the aisle in this. Yeah, absolutely. If you watched any of the hearing yesterday, it was a good bipartisan hearing. This is a bipartisan bill, uh, and I think we'll continue to see support grow around it. Uh, the question is whether they'll be able to adopt something like this. This Congress, who knows? We are seeing a lot of partisanship in other areas. But this is one space that uh, I think it adds value uh, that farmers can feel a little bit comfortable in, and um, empowering USDA to provide more information to farmers uh, shouldn't be a bad thing. That should be a positive thing, and hopefully provide some new opportunities into the future. All right, Andrew, we'll watch this. Uh, I think many that have been through the cap-and-trade experience of a few years ago will be uh, uh, cautiously optimistic at best, I guess, to kind of wait and see how this all plays out. But it is interesting to see where we're going to go with this. Thanks for the update. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Director of Congressional Relations. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.